You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I'm joined by Kat Clements. I've known Kat for a number of years, and she's a person who, interestingly, sees herself as a student of life. But probably more importantly, she really likes to dance. We might find a little bit more about that later on. Welcome to Max's Island, Kat. Thank you very much. It's a joy to be here. (laughs) So, Kat, you understand the concept of Max's Island. We like to hear stories from people who have done something a little bit different for themselves, really been uh, gone against the grain, done something that perhaps others didn't expect you to do. So please tell us your story. Thank you. And um, I have to say, I feel very uh, indulgent getting the opportunity to talk for 30 minutes about my story. But my story is a little interesting in it's got a flicker of serendipity. It has a lesson that I didn't think I would learn and some fun, a bit of dancing um, and a whole bunch of wonderful people and a little bit of work in there too. I've got to throw that in. So my story is about how I started to design my life. Designing your life. Don't we all do that? We all do that, yes. Um, Some of us not so well, perhaps. (laughs) I wouldn't say well, but I think the learnings that I've had over the last two years, there are ways that we can be intentional about our life design and there are ways that we can let the shoulds take over. The shoulds. Hmm, Okay, we might pursue that a little bit later on. So where did you get the interest in shaping people's lives or shaping your own life? Yeah, so... I'll start from the very beginning, which is not really the beginning, it's halfway through. I noticed there was a book called Designing Your Life, written by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans uh, from Stanford University. And I, in my classic cat style... We all know what that's like. (laughs) 100 miles an hour, full bore. (laughs) I followed them on Twitter. I sent them a tweet, um, and this was in 2017, I said, Dear Dave and Bill, I really love what you're doing around designing your life, and your book is really interesting. I would really love to have you here in Perth in Australia someday. It would be great to learn from you. 
I need to add as well, actually, the, the person that introduced me to the book is Katie Stubley, who's a mutual friend of ours. She sent me a photo of the book and said, Kat, this is something I think you need to look at because it weaves career development and career planning in with design thinking, um, two things that uh, I was exploring at the time. And many of us were exploring design sure, thinking definitely. and human-centered design at that time. Yep. So said the tweet and about four months later, my colleague Hannah Wilkinson, who works at Curtin with me, we both actually noticed this newsletter that had came out from Stanford saying that they were running a training course for people, particularly university educators, that were basically they wanted to show us how they were teaching also not just the book but also had a curriculum that they were offering at Stanford. And they wanted to give all of the information to as many university educators as possible. And I looked at this newsletter and I thought, oh, if only I could go to Stanford, that would be cool. And I closed it and I, I, I let it go. Two days later, my colleague Hannah rang me and she goes, have you seen this newsletter? And I said, yeah, I actually have. And she said, did you see that you need, need to apply in a team of three? And um, I said, yeah, I did. And she goes, would you like to apply in a team of three with me? And I thought, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We'd looked at everything on that um, newsletter and it didn't look like it was exclusively for US colleges, but it also didn't stipulate that international universities could apply. So we applied and thought, fingers crossed, we'll just see what happens if we throw our hat in the ring. And I remember it was March the 1st. I'd just been offered a management role in my team in careers and leadership development at Curtin. And I was at Rotnest celebrating. <laughs> um, I was seeing my most favorite Australian rapper all day play. And um, I just watched my friend uh, skydive out of a plane at Rotnest. And as she landed, I got this text message from Hannah saying, we've been accepted into the program. What a day. A lot a of things happened that day. It was a big day. It was a big day. So two months later, off we went to Stanford and we participated in the, this was in 2018, in the Designing Your Life um, training. How long was the training course for? So it was three and a half, four days, four full days. On um, campus? On campus at Stanford in the D school. So we were right in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah. So for those listeners who don't know the D school is very famous at Stanford mm, yeah. and has a long background in design thinking and just pushing the barriers for thinking about solutions for a whole lot of problems. Totally and so designing your life really looks at um, designing your way forward and finding solutions to the wicked problem of designing our lives. So I'd gone in there with this whole educator's hat and thinking, yep, okay, I'm going to learn all these things, I'm going to take back to my students and I'm going to be able to, to, to share all of this and replicate it and scale it online and this and that. So Hannah and I and my other colleague, my wonderful colleague Megan LeClue, also came with us and we had all these big plans and lo and behold, all three of us had this, the, the, the three days really stopped us in our tracks and made us really think about our own lives and how we could actually apply these principles um, in a way that allowed us to experience the content, try the content, but then also, you know, for the benefit of the students. And um, for all of us, we were quite sort of awestruck, I suppose, at the, the way, the impact that it had. 
So it impacted it on you personally? On us personally. I, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. In hindsight, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You have... What, what's that? I was trying to remember that turn of phrase, like you only teach what you need to learn. Right. Something, Something like, like that. Let's that. go with yeah, that. That'll yeah, that would do. Catism. But it's true. Like I have found, you know, my enthusiasm for the content was like, oh my goodness, merging the idea of design thinking with career planning like is awesome and the importance of of it for my own journey was so so significant how long did it take you to feel that way when you were there or when you came back and had the opportunity to reflect because you can get caught up in the moment obviously of a conference listening to speakers of you know people you've admired from afar and yes and you know, being as they caught up in the whole thing, but sometimes when you get back to the the routine of work, things get lost. But yeah. obviously, in your case, it didn't. Yeah, that's right. So you're spot on. You know, there's that feeling of at the conference, all that momentum and energy and enthusiasm, and the container that you're in, and the bubble, and all of that um, has so much within it. But I am, what is it, 2019 now? So. A year and a half later still implementing what I learnt and every time we get to teach it I go back and do about 50% of the activities again um, and I get further insights into what I need to do to go forward. It's funny you say that I when I do my storytelling workshops I've discovered that the best thing is for me to participate in all the activities as well not only for uh, continuity within the in the course, but also just for your own personal benefit, and you get the great opportunity to um, to be spontaneous and, and practice your craft. Totally, as well. totally. So, so I know I've told the story of how I got to Stanford, and there's more to that story. We returned again this year. We actually, at the end of last year, my tweet came true, and uh, Curtin actually hosted all of the Life Design Lab here in Perth. They delivered the training to 80 staff students. Yeah, and industry partners at Curtin Bentley campus. Which and was... unfortunately for some of us who could see that on social media and were very, very jealous seeing it from afar, knowing that we couldn't participate. So it seemed like it was a great week. It, yeah, it was. And I am very aware of that, um, that social media presence and wanting to be able to talk to more people about this as much as I can. Yeah, but I think that the, the, the crux of my story isn't about all of that. It's actually about the personal insights and the personal realisations that I have had through, yeah, this, this experience that I've been so lucky to have the opportunity to be part of. You know, the first indicator of that was in 2018. One of the really light touch activities that we went through was just looking at our life in a series of fuel gauges. They give you the prompters of perhaps it's work, play, love and health. And for the purpose of the activity, I looked at that. And as I looked down, I could draw a very full tank of work. But play and health were pretty low. And that was like the first sort of, yeah, like I had a really like gut, like body reaction to that experience of looking at that and going, oh, I'm quite good at designing work opportunities, but what am I doing about my health and what am I doing about my play? So had you self-reflected before about some of those things or just that was in 
because it was all together, it allowed you the opportunity to spend the time and, and really step back and, and look at all those elements of your life. Yeah, I think there was probably an underlying knowing and a, an awareness and maybe a bit of a move to busyness to pretend like it wasn't a big deal. But when I sort of had to do that activity with everyone there and, and everyone having similar reactions in different, you know, different ways, yeah, it really did sort of take my breath away a little bit and go, oh yeah, there's something in that, particularly the health thing. And it took me back to a, an experience I had when I was about 21 or 22 and I was in this workshop where we were sort of plotting our values and, and I had plotted health really low and a lot of my colleagues that I was with were in their 40s and had plotted it really high. And we had this really big conversation. It was like, you don't understand. Like, you need to prioritise your health while you're young because it's, it's when it's not good and when you get older, you really appreciate how important it is. Yeah, so that was like my first moment of realisation. And where, where did that occur again? That was at Stanford. That was at Stanford yeah, the yeah. first time. Yeah. Actually, to be fair, I think it was, that's when it landed. It's in the book as well and I had read the book, but it didn't, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, about full, three quarters, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, but it was definitely at Stanford. I realised, um, yeah, the significant difference. And that's consistent with a few of my colleagues as well. Yeah. And did you think about it on the 19-hour flight home? I slept so well <laughs> on that flight home. <laughs> I've mastered it. I know what seat I need to get. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was all good. On the, on the way home, I was so exhausted from all of the, the joy and the, yeah, the curiosity and the learning that I, yeah, knocked myself out. <laughs> so you've had this realisation. What was the first thing you did? Always interested in the, uh, look, we all get these triggers mm. in our lives all the time. So you talked about serendipity before. So when we sometimes see these things in life, they pass through and we don't grab them. Then other times they do. I'm always interested in terms of why we do grab them at a certain point in time. So why do you think that happened for you? I, I wonder whether it's because I was ready for the lesson. It could be as simple as that. Yeah. You talk about busyness as well and yeah. they, they just might... You know, there might be a time in, let's say, there's a time when you just are ready. Yeah, and I think there's something about seasons of life as well, where I, I was probably in a place where I wanted to start to let go of things. And, yeah, so the, the realisations... And to be honest, I am in career development. <laughs> and so there is a lot of focus on career. And I, I feel like I was developed out a little bit. Um, and it was time to, to turn the attention onto those other parts. I think also like my husband is very passionate about health and he's been telling me for a very long time that your mind and body are really strongly connected and a healthy body is a he healthy mind. He has probably told me that a hundred, maybe 200 times. But of course I had to go and have an experience where someone else was telling me these things and have the realization of my, my, myself to actually yeah, understand how um, interconnected those things are. So for me to be the best in my, you know, in my work life I'm, and equally to be the best in my family life, I absolutely have to look after that health gauge. It's so, so fundamental. Yes. So what was the next step then? The, the next step, 
I think I wrote a plan. Good. <laughs> um, and um, in Designing Your Life, we talk about the stages of, of design thinking and, and it's, it's, a, it's aligned, each, each part of the program is aligned to a different stage within design thinking, but it's essentially a positive psychology themed program. It's really aligned to positive psychology first and foremost. Secondary to that is, is how it connects to the design thinking process as a good model to, that people understand. So we talk about prototyping as one of the stages. And, um, and for me, I was thinking, okay, I would love to prototype some new experiences around health. What are some of the things that I've always said I want to do, but something has got in the way of me actually doing it? So, I, love, I love the idea of prototyping. I'd never thought about that in, in, in your life because we often think I have to do, make a radical change and then just stick with it, you know, one change and that's it, whereas it, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to, to try some things exactly the way prototyping is meant to work in design thinking. There's no reason why you shouldn't do that in your life. Totally, yeah. It's, it's really useful, especially when we get those moments of feeling stuck. So with me, if we take my example of looking at the health gauge and, and you get that sinking feeling of, oh gosh, that's really hard to receive. But using that stuck feeling to go, okay, well, how can I, how can I spend the next 30 minutes brainstorming some solutions and some little things that are going to get me unstuck? So yes, my prototypes were centered around a yoga practice. So I've always thought, the limiting belief I have around yoga is that I want to be the best yoga person and I want to be like decked out in all of the clothes and, you know, be able to call myself a yogi. So that's like a really, really silly limiting belief about what, what I think of when I think of yoga. So more recently, this is actually a very recent example and I'll go back to some other examples in a moment, but I was like, okay, the thing that's stopping me the most from getting on the yoga mat is actually feeling like I have to leave the house and pay some money and show up for a 90-minute class. That is massively demotivating because I don't feel cool enough. I don't feel coordinated enough. You know, everyone's in that community. All of that is just too much for me, was too much for me at the time. So I thought, okay, what, what's like the next step back and it's to have like an online yoga subscription that you pay for but what's even a step back from that looking on YouTube and doing a free yoga class so I got on Google this is literally a month ago jumped on Google and just typed in 30 day yoga challenge free and up popped this five-year-old program it's got millions and millions of views which was 30 minutes or less so in terms of prototyping I went okay I can, my, my commitment today is 30 minutes. I'm going to get up 30 minutes early. I'm going to set all my stuff up so it feels, you know, a bit zen and see what happens. And I felt so energized after those 30 minutes that I've stuck with it now for 26 days. Great. Um, what, what is it? The 30 days is a bit of a milestone, I think. And then the 45 day. So, yeah, something. So you're getting close to that. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. The last week has been the hardest. <laughs> I think that that's when you're like, maybe you have the most resistance. Well, that's my experience anyway. So that's one thing I did to kind of start improving or looking at incremental ways to prototype new health activities or initiatives in my life. The other one is dancing. 
Oh, well, I'm glad we got back to the dancing. Yes. So I am what you call an upholder. My tendency, if we talk about Gretchen Rubin's t- four tendencies, if I declare to someone, oh, hang on, I might have got it wrong. I think I am an upholder with a bit of obliger tendency as well. So I'm good at setting goals, but if I can double whammy it by setting a goal and also asking someone or telling someone about that goal, it will hold me very accountable. So with the dancing, I have always loved dancing. When I was a kid, I would just like watch this show called Kids Incorporated, which has Fergie, Stacey Ferguson from the Black Eyed Peas. She was in it. It's from the 80s. They sing, they basically. I've got a broad audience. I'm sure there were people that'll know. <laughs> the story goes these like six or eight young people in high school, after school, every, every day after school, I'm assuming, they go to this cafe called The Place. It's actually called The Palace, but the A has dropped out of the neon sign. And The Palace slash The Place has a stage. And uh, at the end of every school day, this group would get up and sing an 80s song, do a dance routine, um, and then get on with their, you know, lives and their storylines and all that sort of thing. So I learnt all of these 80s songs and pretended like I was in the band and learnt all of their dance moves, everything. So I've always... The point of this story, as I get distracted by how fun that was, was that I absolutely loved just singing and dancing and jumping around as a kid. Well, let me just say, I get in lots of arguments about 80s music. Everybody has a bad word to say about 80s music. I think 80s music is the greatest, greatest era. So I'm putting that out there anyway. Thank you, Tony. I agree. It's so, there's just so much to it. There's so, so much many, variety yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So yes, um, so when I was at Stanford and kind of starting to think about, well, how can I make health more joyful so I'll actually be able to do it I went back to kind of those early experiences of what brought me joy and then I went okay great I can prototype something along the lines of doing some dancing I had a once a week dance class that I go to already called Jungle Body shout out to any Jungle Body people out there it's awesome but I declared to a friend um, at, at New Year's, we actually made a New Year's resolution that wow, we... Wow, that's not normally um, something that's easy, easily kept. Yeah, right? So mm-hmm. we said we were going to try swing dancing together. It took us five months to get there, but we did. We tried a, a swing dancing class, or five classes actually. And I also started doing a dance hall class. So I picked up, I've done a couple of classes there, if I'm fully, totally honest, but in the spirit of prototyping, I went out and tried some different things. Yeah, and that, again, has been so energising for me. Yeah, and then just following on from that, after attending Claire Sarah Johnson's flow workshop, I started to think about, well, what were some of those incidental moments where I got to dance and got to be joyful and sort of put me in that flow state? And I made a commitment as well to my husband that we would go uh, to a gig once a month. And just try and get back into that sort of experience of just being lost in a moment and group flow and also getting to dance at those sorts of events. So for those listeners who may not have uh, heard one of the earlier episodes with Claire Sarah Johnson, we talked about flow state and, and Claire's journey to California to become a practitioner and So it's great that you've swung back to to that episode and and some of the experiences or some of the influences that that it's given you. One of the interesting points that you make, because 
the reason I do the podcast is exactly the same. It's, it's about a way for me to creatively get involved in storytelling every second week. And it's a discipline that I really love. And whilst I may not be telling the stories, um, it's, it's in the storytelling world by listening to somebody's unique story. And that is very much driven by that, that same thing of, of needing to, to get into it and be, be regular about it. Totally. And aren't we lucky that you're producing a podcast so we all get to benefit too. <laughs> we feel... Thank you from everybody. <laughs> so that's my story of fuel gauges and, and my health gauge and a little bit about play as well, particularly the dancing. So it's been a couple of years. You've, you've said you've been on the journey. You did this the time at Stanford and then they came out here. Where are you at with it now? And what do you think your next bit of prototyping might centre around? Mm, great question. So when I think about some of the things I was exploring around life design from a work um, perspective, I have been super keen and super... I keep returning to wanting to support the professional and personal development of those in for-purpose careers or change-making roles. So that sort of has been a central theme in all of this and I feel as though I'm getting closer to that but in a way I didn't expect. I'm going really, really micro in the types of changes that I'm able to make in my own life. So what I mean by that is, for example, is looking at our home and what changes I can make to support the values that I want to support and see in the world. Um, So sustainability is a really big one for us just invested in 1,000 new pets. We just got a worm farm two weeks ago. Wow, good. Um, and just starting to actually walk the talk from my own lived experience as opposed to actually focus on others. And that has been, yeah, a really interesting like coming home experience for me and looking inward as opposed to actually looking outward to the problems that I want to solve in the world. I want to solve the problems in my own home. We had this conversation actually a couple of weeks ago around that and I think you can be for want of a better description self-indulgent in a way that actually benefits not only you but it actually changes your mindset so you actually will continue to benefit others but you're looking after yourself at the same time and right now like another one of the um, activities is around reflecting on your week and your your energy levels um, and what engages you and actually going okay well there's this incongruence here on Wednesday with this particular activity, how can I start to yeah reshape the way that my, my week is so that I'm less drained by that experience as opposed to having a major lull and then, you know all that sort of thing. So yeah, stacking that as well. So I've got one question around that though. We want to be deliberate in our decision making and really give it some some thought to make sure that we are making the right decisions for ourselves and, and, and not creating more stress in our life. On the other hand, we don't want to lose our intuitiveness, our creativeness, and again, we come back to the, the word you used earlier, the serendipitous nature of things and being alert to that. How do you think you're going to balance that? <laughs> Sorry, deep and meaningful, great, but... <laughs> great question. I love that question. I feel... My experience has been designing white space into my life. So it's actually, when I talk about the shoulds, for me the shoulds, in inverted commas for the people listening, the shoulds keep me busy 
and what my design challenge has been is how can I create more space and more bandwidth for the things that really matter. That's really important. I totally understand that um, and, and I guess where I was coming from is actually based on some of the theories of, of people like Daniel Kahneman with um, System 1 and System 2 thinking and one of the principles in that is creating time, creating space to think. The same thing applies here and I think that's one thing in the planning process that allows you then to be flexible, creative, spontaneous is to build that white space great description of it saying that there's you need to have white space in your in your life mm. where nothing is going to happen but it might happen totally and it's and you're giving yourself the opportunity to take advantage of, of something that might pop up or just not taking advantage of anything yeah and giving yourself that time to to renew your energy anyway that's the upside of that it's so true and I think Although we're seeing a lot more of like the slow movement coming up and people starting to think about this and be more vocal about it, it's still a, it's a, it's a, a small group um, of people that are starting to explore that or exploring that further. And that really like makes me, I have a really a frustrated feeling about that, that we are all so busy that we don't have that bandwidth to think yeah and it's a topic I'm very passionate about and I'm still learning can I just say I'm certainly not perfect I have a recommendation for a podcast am I allowed to please yeah. there there is um, a lady by the name of Jocelyn K Gly and she has a podcast called hurry slowly and it's a beautifully produced intentional sounding podcast that talks about creating space in, in the workplace, particularly for creative ideas and, and, and that sort of thing. And she talks about having golden hours each day where um, your productivity, at, at the best of times, we have two, two hours in a working day to actually sit down and do some deep thinking. And it's really important to honour those golden hours, not just for your organisation who's paying you, but also for yourself, that, that that's a, a really important part of the whole work experience so well Kat thank you so much for being on Max's Island we've gone to a place that we we haven't been to with any other guests which is fantastic is there anything you want to sign off with another a pearl of wisdom that you've you've learned on that journey and or make a statement about what your next prototyping might be <laughs> I think what I would invite all the listeners to do is to reflect on one moment in their week that has been surprisingly and delightfully energizing and just reflect on that moment for five minutes and see if there's one thing that they could propel forward um, that they could prototype to to have more moments of delight like that very profound. Thanks very much, Kat, for being on Max's Island. Thanks, Tony. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, all work and no play, and how. 
How it turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone No one to blame If he finished Or fell by the way Oh 